Live from Liverpool, The Dark Paranormal, Season 6. Hi everyone and welcome back to The Dark Paranormal, Season 6. As ever, thank you so much for all of the feedback, correspondence and indeed stories for Season 7, which, yes, we are now taking receipt of. Of course, as you will know by now, each season we flip between famous cases and listeners' true paranormal experiences. So, if you're listening right now, and you have a true paranormal experience that you think would be suitable for Season 7, then please send it on to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. On today's episode of The Dark Paranormal, we have something of a rarity. Many times we hear tales of how a family has to deal with a malevolent entity and the battle they end up winning come the end of the episode. However, as you're about to hear in today's true paranormal experience, sometimes those entities can be, well, just too powerful. But before we get to today's terrifying experience, I of course need to thank our Patreons. When you join our Patreon team, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before everyone else, you also receive access to a Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites, which comes out each and every week, even on the downtime in between seasons. We've built up a wonderful team of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over a Patreon, and we'd like to extend a special invitation just for you. So why not head over right now to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. Colton, Crystal Schnankenberg, Kyle Faulkner, Carol Poland, Samantha Ellis, Zustash, Molly Healy, Laura Garcia Rogers, Nigel War, Patrick Walsh, Caleb Patterson, Tony Gray, April Fowler, Cassidy Wolf, Chantraves, Eric Buckles, Michael Hawkins, Lauren, Monique Oferall, Nathan Howell, and Yolanda Speller. Thank you so much, guys, for your support of the show. I hope you enjoy all the extra content and, of course, early released episodes. So, if you'd like to join the team, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. And now, we're about to hear why buying a new house doesn't necessarily guarantee new beginnings. So let's lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we hear all about the haunting of Thornton Heath. It's August 1972, and the rare hot and humid weather of an English heatwave is bearing down on the greater London district of Thornton Heath. Margaret Forbes is fidgeting with her kitchen window, painted over during some recent renovations following their house move. She finally forces it open, more to allow the heat from inside to radiate outwards than to allow the non-existent breeze in. Looking out to her back garden, she can see her husband, Alan, fast asleep on a recliner, the daily newspaper covering his bare chest and his head dropped to the side. At the rear of the garden, her son, Martin, is doing his best to keep his football in the air, counting out loud with each successful knee or kick, and starting again when the ball drops to the floor. 
The long afternoon shadows begin stealing the sunlight from the garden, creeping forward and forcing Martin into one corner of the grass. The coolness stirs Alan from his siesta, and he looks around to gather his bearings from the recliner. Two hours, shouts Margaret through the window. What? Two hours you've been asleep for. You're going to need some aftersun on, you'll be burnt to a crisp. I'm fine, replied Alan. As Alan walked into the kitchen, it became evident he wasn't fine. His eyes had played that trick on him, where you think you look fine, but only on reaching a mirror and some artificial light do you realise just how red and burnt you truly are. Christ, I look like a lobster, he said. Margaret laughed. Oh, you need a cool shower and then cover yourself in after sun. Alan nodded in agreement and headed up the stairs. Margaret headed back to the kitchen window. Martin, come in now. I'll be doing dinner soon. Martin grabbed his football and ran into the house, sprinting up the stairs. I'm starving, he muttered as he took the stairs two at a time. Margaret heard the shower running upstairs, so made herself a cup of tea. She decided she'd have a few minutes to herself and so turned on the radio, picked up a magazine and sat on the couch. She sighed a contented sigh as she flicked through the gossip columns, reading all about who... She cast her eyes up, still holding the magazine page mid-turn. The radio had turned itself off. She stared back in silence. The radio had turned itself back on again. Margaret was stumped, but putting it down to maybe a power surge or similar, she decided it was just one of those things and carried on with her magazine. This time she actually saw the power switch move in her peripheral vision. That's not possible, she thought. She rose from the couch. She walked to the bottom of the stairs but still focused on the radio. Alan! She shouted up the stairs, but Alan was still in the shower and did not hear her call. This time there was no doubt. She literally watched the power switch flick into the off position. A chill ran down her spine. Alan! She shouted again. The radio turned on once more, but this time, instead of hearing the station she was listening to, there was nothing but static. She stepped halfway up the stairs, still transfixed on the radio. Something seemed to be coming through the static. Whispers, cries, terribly tormented voices seemingly forcing their way through the static. Alan! What? came the muffled reply from the bathroom. It'll just be a power surge, said Alan, drying himself off in the bedroom. No, Alan. I saw the switch literally move in front of me, replied Margaret, folding her arms in protest. Oh, electricity can make all sorts of things happen, said Alan, shaking his head. Margaret looked away in disdain. Oh, what? began Alan. Do you want me to tell you it's a ghost or something then? Because it's not, you know, laughed Alan. Don't be daft, replied Margaret. I just know what I saw, that's all. Soon, summer give way to the autumn, and along with the change in seasons, seemed to come a rise in the activity 
in the Thornton Heath home. Margaret was doing some ironing late one evening when there was a light rapping on the kitchen window. She paused. Martin was in bed and Alan was out with friends. No one should be in the back garden. Once more the knocking came. Margaret felt rooted to the spot as she stared like a deer in the headlights towards the window. The interior light and exterior darkness combined to turn the window into something of a black mirror. Even if someone was outside, she would never see them. This time she decided she would open the back door. With a firm grip on the iron, she reached her hand out and turned the key in the lock. She decided she would count to three and quickly swing open the door. Or maybe she would be better opening it slowly, she thought. Anyway, three, two, one. Nothing. Martin screamed from his bedroom. Quickly shutting the door and running upstairs, she burst into his room to find her son sat up, crying in bed. He'd had a nightmare. He explained to his mother how in his dream, someone had dragged him by his feet out to the nearby stream and forcibly held him under the water. Margaret swallowed hard, picturing the description vividly in her own head, but reassured him that he was just adjusting to the new house and pretty soon he would feel right at home. He just needed to be brave. She stroked his head until he fell back asleep. As she was doing so, Alan returned home from his evening with friends. Hello, he called from the hallway. Margaret loudly shushed him from the bedroom. Sorry, he drunkenly loudly whispered in reply. Margaret slowly stood from the bed, finally convinced that Martin was fast asleep. She crept out onto the landing and began to slowly close his bedroom door. Ow! From downstairs, Alan cried out in pain. Margaret hurriedly returned to the living room to find Alan holding the back of his head with both hands. And a small bronze statuette of a dancer stood upright in the middle of the floor, far removed from its usual place on the windowsill. That bloody thing just hit me, Alan cried. Is someone playing around in here? He said angrily, rising to his feet and hastily walking to check out the kitchen area. No, no one's here, Alan. What happened? I came in. I walked over there. He pointed to the chair in the corner. Then I hear, I actually heard this thing move off the window ledge. And next thing you know, it bounced off me bloody head. Am I bleeding? He asked, turning his back to Margaret. No, said Margaret after a cursory glance. I told you something wasn't right in here, said Margaret sternly. Again, Alan just shook his head. However, this time, with much less conviction. Can I put the star at the top? Asked an excited Martin, eager to continue the usual Christmas tradition of him putting the final item on the tree. Oh, go on then, said Alan, lifting him up under the arms so he could reach. There, that looks lovely, smiled Margaret. Alan shot a glance to his wife. It sounded like someone was running around on the landing upstairs. And then the footsteps stopped.
The lights in the living room shook as it sounded like something heavy had been dropped onto the bedroom floor upstairs. I'll, I'll go and check, eh? Said a non-too-enthusiastic Alan. Be careful, whispered Margaret as he precariously made his way up the stairs. Alan walked from room to room, but everything was as it should be. Nothing was out of place, and certainly no large object had fallen onto the bedroom floor. Alan made his way back downstairs. He shrugged at his wife. Nothing's there. I can't see. Shh! Margaret shushed him and pointed at the Christmas tree. What? whispered Alan in reply. Watch, replied Margaret. The couple watched on. At first, Alan struggled to understand what he was meant to be looking for. But then, he noticed it. An almost imperceptible movement of the tree. He walked over and joined his wife, positioning Martin behind them. The tree began shaking more and more. Eventually, the decorations from the tree began to drop and smash on the ground. The more vigorous the tree was shaken, the further the ornaments would fly through the air, smashing into walls and covering the now cowering family in shards of broken glass and plastic. Then it all just seemed to stop. Until the same loud bang from upstairs seemingly signifying an official end to that night's terror. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Oh, it'll be nice to have a few people round, take our minds off things, said Alan. He'd suggested this New Year's party a few weeks ago, and initially, Margaret hadn't been so keen. However, in light of the recent happenings, the thought of being in the safety of friends and family was now much more appealing. Yeah, I guess, she muttered in agreement, passing her husband a fresh cup of tea. Martin was sat eating his cereal. Mum, he began. Yes, darling? You know how you said I should be brave if I'm scared in my room? 
Well, I was brave last night. Alan took a sip from his cup of tea and asked, Why is that, son? Well, because a man came into my room last night and started shouting, but no sound came out. He was stood at the bottom of the bed and was really angry. But I just watched him until he went away and I didn't cry or nothing. Martin said triumphantly. Alan's face was in utter shock. Oh, well, well done, son, he said as Martin pushed his chair out and made his way upstairs. Margaret's eyes welled up at the thought of her poor son trying to fend off something as horrific as that sounded. Don't get upset, love, he's clearly imagined it, said the non-too-convinced Alan. You need to open your eyes, Alan, retorted Margaret, jabbing him in the chest with a finger. Our son's going through hell due to whatever's in this house, and you're acting like nothing's happening. Margaret stormed out of the kitchen. As if unable to face what was going on, Alan called after her. Don't forget people are arriving at 8 o'clock tonight, so we need to be ready for 7.30. Margaret didn't reply. That evening, the party was in full swing. Oh, you've got this place lovely, said Alan's cousin, Ralph. Thanks, Ralph. Yeah, it's took a while, hasn't it, love? Alan nudged Margaret, who, already a good few drinks in, just smiled and nodded. In total, there were ten guests sat around a festively decorated dining table. And, despite her reservations, even Margaret had to agree the evening was going well. Three angry, loud knocks were heard on the front door of the house. Everyone around the table abruptly fell silent. Someone's eager, joked Ralph, smiling as he took a sip of his drink. Margaret shot Alan a glance. I'll I'll go and see who it is. Alan grinned and rose from the table. He reached out to put his hand to the front door when the door flew inwards violently towards him, clattering against the wall behind. Suddenly, all the lights in the house went out, leaving the now terrified and bewildered guests in near darkness, only illuminated by the two decorative candles positioned either end of the table. Everyone was stunned into silence when... Heavy footsteps were heard coming slowly down the stairs. The entire party watched intently to see just who the steps belonged to. However, the footsteps arrived at the bottom step unaccompanied by a physical body. Some of the guests began to lightly cry in fear as the slow footsteps made their way towards the doorway of the party's room, seemingly stopping at the threshold. All fell silent. Both candles were simultaneously blown out by something unseen. The party rushed for the front door, despite Alan forcing a smile and chasing after people, trying his best to say there was a reasonable explanation. His cousin Ralph stopped and addressed him. Alan, there's nothing reasonable about this. You need to get this place blessed. It's, well, it's evil, he said before turning on his heels and heading off into the night. And this should stop everything that's been going on. Well, it should help, replied the priest to Alan. 
Following the event at the party a few weeks ago, Alan decided to seek out the local parish priest and ask for the house to be blessed. There can occasionally be, well, something that seems to be confused by a new homeowner's arrival, said the priest. Through prayer, we can show them a way to peace that seems to be successful. Alan nodded along as the priest spoke. Well, we were going to get a medium in, said Margaret, much to the priest's disapproval. Oh, you really shouldn't bring any so-called mediums into your home. I'm sure they mean well, but often they do more harm than good, and normally at great cost. Margaret gave an involuntary nod. The priest opened his leatherette bag and, taking out a small wooden prayer cross and a small vial of holy water, walked from room to room, praying under his breath and occasionally flicking holy water in each corner of the room. When the priest was finished, Alan handed the priest a white envelope with a donation for the church and wished him well as he made his way out with a smile. There, all done, said Alan with a grin. Suddenly the door which separated the kitchen and the living room slammed shut. With such force the pictures hanging on the walls all shook. Alan gulped. Well, maybe the kitchen window's open. Margaret shook her head and stomped over to the door, throwing it open to show that no doors nor windows were responsible for the violently slammed door. So, it looks like the priest himself has made things worse, and at cost, fumed Margaret. Let's not be hasty, love. It might take a few days to kick in. Let's just wait a few days, said a concerned Alan. In the following five days, the entity at the house seemingly accelerated its activity, as if aware that the couple were trying to rid it from their home. Items would disappear and reappear in unreachable places, and thumps, bangs, and scratching sounds would come from the walls at all hours of the day and night. Following one particularly wretched night's sleep, Alan came downstairs to find Margaret at the end of a phone call. Tomorrow is perfect, yes. 9pm? Great. Who was that? asked Alan. I'm getting a medium in. Tomorrow. She certainly can't do any more harm than the priest, replied Margaret. At this point, Alan really couldn't dispute it anymore. The lights were all turned off in accordance with the medium's wishes. Candles were lit and placed around the room, giving the medium's and Alan and Margaret's face a haunting, underlit look. The medium's eyes were closed. She'd been like this for over ten minutes, deeply breathing in and out. Suddenly, she stopped and opened her eyes. There's a man here. He's angry, filled with rage. Rage towards you both. And your son. Margaret tensed at those words. He says you're not welcome here. This is his land. His house. You're not invited. He says you're invaders. Alan looked more concerned than Margaret had ever seen him. Can 
can you tell him we're good people, that we mean no harm? Said Alan. Well, I can try and persuade him to move on. Most of the time, you see, these type of spirits don't realise they're dead. That's why they get so protective. Just let me try. Again, the medium closed her eyes. The only sound her deep and heavy breathing. She opened her eyes once more. And this time, she looked much more anxious than before. Well, she began. It appears he's fully aware he's dead. You see, he said, This will always be our house, even if we are dead. Alan and Margaret looked at each other at a loss for words. Ah, said Margaret. Sorry, said the medium. He said, our house, so he's not alone. The medium instantly looked sheepish. She shot glances back at Alan and Margaret while shaking her head. No, no, he's he's not alone. I don't know how to say this, but... Well, up to now you've been dealing with him. I'm getting the name Chatterton. However, he's just been carrying out the orders of his wife, Mrs Chatterton. And she's just let me know that she intends to finish the job properly, because he couldn't. The medium looked terrified. And he's not a patch on her when it comes to nastiness. From upstairs, a large, deep bang seemingly announced something's arrival. So what should we do? Asked the now terrified Alan. While she hastily packed away her belongings, the medium muttered, Well, the good news is it won't come after you if you move. It's staying put no matter what. So you're saying we have to give up and move? Said a defiant Alan. Not at all, it's just a statement, replied the medium. I will only ever say facts. And the fact is, I can't move these spirits on. Therefore, logically, something needs to move. And if it was me, well, I would, she said. Alan gave a laugh of disbelief at the situation. And my wife's going to pay you now for this fantastic advice. It's all a con, this. He fake laughed and both the medium and Margaret glared at Alan. Margaret paid and thanked the medium and showed her to the door. The next evening would be the last the Forbes spent in their Thornton Heath home. Margaret was the last to bed that evening, having tried to tire herself out watching late-night TV. She turned all the lights out and groggily climbed up the stairs. As she reached the top, she paused as she heard what sounded like the cough of a woman behind her. She slowly turned around and there stood on the bottom step looking up at her from the darkness was a stern-looking woman in a pinafore dress. Her hair pulled back into a tight bun. Her hands dropped by her side, slowly tilting her head side to side as if sizing up Margaret. Margaret blinked, but the woman was still there. However... She was now a step closer. Margaret closed her eyes tight in an attempt to clear them. She reopened them and... The woman was gone. 
Well, maybe it was nothing. It was dark, and she was overtired. There were many mitigating factors which could explain this away. Margaret headed to the bathroom to prepare for bed. Looking in the mirror and rubbing her face, Pull yourself together, Marg, she muttered to herself. She turned on the cold water tap and, cupping her hands, swilled her face with the sharp, cold water. She wiped the water from her eyes and looked back in the mirror at her reflect. She paused. She couldn't be sure. But in the reflection, in the dimly lit corner, it looked like the woman from... Margaret was yanked back by her necklace. It felt like there were four or five hands pushing, pulling, raking. Her necklace snapped and fell to the floor and Margaret managed to escape to the bedroom. Stopping at the doorway and glancing back, the bathroom was empty. The only thing out of place was her necklace, which was now sitting on the bathroom floor. Margaret, covered in bruises and friction burns from the attack, woke her husband, Alan, and through broken, panicked speech, told him just what she'd encountered. Three packed bags later, and the Forbes family left their Thornton Heath home for the final time. What a truly terrifying, true paranormal experience there. And as I said at the start, quite the rarity, because normally we discuss how a family won its battle against malevolent spirits. But in this story, the family left The spirits won. In the interests of full disclosure, some of the names have been changed within that paranormal experience. However, I can also add that like many of these stories, future residents of the property did not report any paranormal activity, which can only lead us to three possible outcomes. One, the new tenants did have some paranormal activity but thought they'd be ridiculed if they came forward. Two, There could have been some psychic connection between the Forbes family, or indeed one of the Forbes family, and the spirits who reside at the house. Or three, the Forbes family made the entire thing up. And it's down to you, the listener, to decide where you land. Personally, I think the family did encounter some paranormal activity. The fact it's not a widely known case would tell me they didn't go seeking fame and fortune off the back of it. Which is one of the first red flags when you think about someone trying to make something up for monetization. Also, some of the things are a little too specific for something that's been plucked from somebody's mind. In my humble opinion, anyway. So that about wraps up today's episode. It just leaves me enough time to say thank you for once again choosing to spend your time with me here on The Dark Paranormal. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you again on Sunday for a new episode of Dark Bites. And to everyone, I'll see you here next week. Until then, remember, when you discuss the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, here on The Dark Paranormal.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.